He's alone. He doesn't need you or I to do anything. But he actually invites us to be a part of his story. And his story is simply his story. <laughs> Otherwise known as history. And it's playing out right in front of our eyes. And long before you were even on this earth, the Bible says that God saw you and he knew you. God saw you and he knew you long before you were on the earth. And so that leads me to ask you a question tonight. A question of who are you? If you ask anyone that question, hi, my name is Tara, who are you? They're going to respond with, well, hi, my name is Benjamin, or my name is Matilda, or whatever. And it might be quickly followed with something like, I'm a rock star, rock on. Okay, maybe not. I'm a professional athlete. I'm the NBA champion. I'm the boss. I'm the Mac Daddy. I'm the coolest kid in my class. I'm the biggest loser in my school. It's followed by a ton of labels. But see, the reality is that is not who you are see the thing is we don't know who we are because we don't really know who Jesus is see your identity is directly connected to the God of the universe who made you and you and I have all kinds of misconceptions and beliefs about who God is so I ask the question again I just want you to think about it who are you? Who is Jesus? Probably a number of answers fill in your mind right now. Like he's the son of God and, you know, he's the one we worship and he's the one I'm no longer a slave to sin for. And we sing about him and we wear shirts with him. And, uh, but who is Jesus to you? Is he the dude with the beard and a white robe full of endless fun? Is he a genie in a bottle? You only talk to him when you need a Hail Mary prayer because you're going to fail the exam tomorrow because you didn't study and pay attention to class. Like, hey, God, it's me one more time. I know I said last time I wouldn't do this, but come on, bro. Help me out one more time. Who is Jesus to you? Is he a porcelain little baby figurine inside your nativity set that you set up every year at Christmas? Or is he some God that your family worships and Cody talks about all the time and you're just kind of here? Who is Jesus? Who are you and who is Jesus? Or is he the God who runs away and disappears when things are hard? To be honest... I'm going to cut to the chase with y'all because I don't have time to like kind of work my way up and I'm just going to jump in. For Tara, when things go wrong, Jesus to me seems like the God who runs away and disappears and leaves Tara to figure it all out. As if somehow maybe I've deserved the things that are happening in my life. Or maybe he's gotten too busy or maybe he's just taking some giant cosmic nap somewhere. And the details of my life really don't matter in the grand scheme of things. So then it ends up being this storyline, Tara versus the world. And that is a lie from the pits of hell. And every time I choose to believe that lie and every time I choose to lean into that and to live that and to let that be my story, 
the enemy wins every single time. See, here's the deal. A skewed understanding of who Jesus is will lead to a skewed understanding of who you are. If you don't know who Jesus is, there is no way for you to know who you truly are. If you think God is a jerk, then you're going to think you're the son or the daughter of God who can never get things right. If you think that God is a genie in a bottle and he's there for you when you need a quick miracle, but any other time you don't have time for him, then you're going to be the spoiled brat of God. A skewed understanding of who Jesus is will always lead to a skewed understanding of who you are. And that's the two questions we're asking tonight. Who are you and who is Jesus? Let me read some words to you and and see if any of these words might describe your life. You ready? Sin, disease, fear, hiding, heartache, rejection, pride, running, surrounded. You're like, yeah, man, totally sums up the middle school years. Anyone with me? No? Okay, there's five of us. Congratulations to the rest of you. Talk to me afterwards. Let me know your secret. But the reality is, is that those words describe our everyday lives. And what is the first thing you and I say when something bad happens? Where is... Come on, say it louder. Where is... Right? We ask this question all the time. If God is good, then why did this happen? Why did so-and-so die? If God has the power, why did so-and-so die of cancer? Why did my parents get a divorce? Why does nobody at school like me? Why, why, why? You guys know the book, Alexander and a Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day? Yes. Yeah, that's what happens. See, the narrative of our lives plays out. Something bad happens, and then all of a sudden we start writing the story, right? Well, excuse me, God, give me the Sharpie. I'm going to write out how this thing goes. God hates me. God is not part of my life. I'm left to figure this out on my own. But what if I told you that tonight that's actually a lie? Because that's the first thing we think as soon as something bad happens, right? Oh, God's no longer a part of my life. I'm left on my own. But I go back to the two questions we started with. Who are you and who is Jesus? I think sometimes we think that when we start to follow Jesus, things are going to be great. Every prayer is going to be yes and amen. Things are going to go according to the way that we want them to go to. And we start to believe lies about who God is, but also who we are. There's a story in the Bible. And um, the story goes like this. There were two sons. A man had two sons. And an older son and a younger son. And one day, one of the sons goes up to the dad and he says, Dad, it is time for you to give me my share of the inheritance. Yes, sorry. Come on. Hand it over, pops. Sounds pretty punkish, right? And actually, what that son was saying to his dad was, Dad, I actually wish you were dead. You mean nothing to me. Give me what's mine. The father gave the son his inheritance. The son wandered off to a foreign country and he lived the party scene, man. He lived it up. He had a great time. He squandered 
all of his money. He had the nicest cars and the nicest clothes and the bestest of friends and lavish food, like no frozen chicken nuggets or 99 cent corn dogs from Sonic for a homeboy because dude was hooked up. He had his inheritance. Till one day a famine hits the land and homeboy has nothing. And he finds himself eating the slop of the pigs. Have you ever been so hungry you'd eat anything? Probably not. Probably not. I'm not talking like you're hungry because the ramen noodles in the cupboard ain't cutting it. I'm talking hungry like you haven't eaten in a week. There's actually people in the world who make pies and cookies and cakes out of mud. They take dirt and water and they form it together and they let it bake in the sun and they eat it just to put something in their stomach. Homeboy had nothing. He spent it all. And he said, I'm going to go back to my dad because even though I don't deserve to be a son of his, maybe, just maybe, I can be a servant of his and I can get a real meal. And he goes back. And the Bible says that the father was waiting on the porch and watching. And the minute he saw his wayward son, he jumped off the porch and he ran to his son and he embraced him. And he gave him a signet ring, which was a sign of a covenant. He put on a robe and he said, bring the fattened calf and we're going to have a feast. We're going to celebrate. Because his lost son was home. Who is Jesus to you? In the midst of my son, in the midst of my sin, Jesus is the one waiting for me to return. In the midst of my sin, Jesus is the one waiting for me to return. There's a lady. She'd been sick for 12 years. She had bled non-stop for 12 years. The Bible says that she spent everything she had on doctors. Going all over to all the places, all the specialists. Not only was she sick, she was physically weak. And she was an outcast because of her illness. I'd venture to say her friends and her family kind of stepped away and backed away and said, You know what? Man, I don't know what you got going on. But I'm not trying to be a part of that. And the lady spent everything she had and she heard that Jesus was in town. And she was so desperate. She said, if I can just get close enough. Because you know with Jesus, there was always a crowd, right? She said, if I can just get close enough to touch the bottom of his robe, I will be made well. And she pushed her way through the crowd and she touched the bottom of his robe and instantly she was healed. Instantly, within 12 years of suffering and heartache and disease, she was made whole. What no man could do for her, Jesus did for her. Who is Jesus? In the midst of my disease, Jesus is waiting for me to touch him. To beg for my healing. The disciples were in the boat with Jesus. Jesus told them, guys, we're going to go to the other side. And Jesus was tired, fully God, fully human. He fell asleep and he took a nap. And a large storm arose on the lake. We've had some storms lately, haven't we? Big old storms. And the disciples were scared and they went and they woke up Jesus and they shook him and they said, Jesus, don't you care that we're dying? You said that in your life before? Maybe not physically dying, but like, hello, do you not care? Hello, earth to the big guy. Do you not care? 
And Jesus wakes up and he instantly calms the storm, the wind, and the rain. And he tells the disciples, you have little faith. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to me? Jesus, in the midst of my fear, is waiting, waiting to calm the waves. Waiting to calm the waves. Adam and Eve in the garden, pure perfection, beautiful. No sin, no disease, no tears. There was one rule, don't mess with the tree in the middle. And they did what? They messed with the tree in the middle. And then Adam and Eve, what did they do? Instead of owning it, they went and hid, right? They went and hid. They walked in pure perfection and perfect fellowship with God. And they made the wrong choice and they were ashamed and they went and hid. God comes walking through. Adam, Eve, where are you? Marco. (laughs) Why did Jesus, why did God ask where they were? Because he didn't know? No, because he needs us to be honest with him. Who is Jesus to you? Jesus to me in the midst of my hiding is waiting to find me. He's waiting for me to call out. There's a story in the Bible about a woman named Hagar. You guys know the story probably. Abraham and Sarai, they were promised to have descendants as numerous as the stars. And they were old, y'all, like mothball smelling old, like playing bingo at 3 o'clock, eating dinner at 4.30, watching the weather, the Jeopardy at 6 o'clock. If some of you here do that, I apologize. (laughs) And in by it by 7 o'clock. You know what I'm saying? Like every year my parents bump up their meal time by an hour. Holy cow, we eat lunch at 11 o'clock when I go home now, right? That's just the natural progression of things. It's just how things go. And they were promised these children and they were old and old people don't have babies. Right? When was the last time you read a baby shower for an 87-year-old grandma? Uh, likely never. And they got impatient. They got impatient on waiting on God. And so they came up with their own plan. Have a little slumber party with Hagar the servant. Get married to her. We'll, we'll, we'll help God with the promise for our life. Right? Have any of you ever tried to help God with the details of your life? Okay. There's three of us. Fantastic to the rest of you. Okay, and so Hagar gets pregnant and it says that Sarai despises her. She looks on her with contempt and Hagar runs away to the wilderness and she weeps bitterly. She had heartache. She was experiencing the pain of something she didn't ask for and she didn't deserve. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the one who sees us in the midst of our heartache. Because see, an angel appeared to Hagar in the wilderness and said, God sees you and he loves you and you have to go back. He's going to work it out. And that day, Hagar said, she named the place um, El El Bashir Rahoy, something like that. Okay, ask Cody later. He'll tell you. But it basically means he said, she said, I know that now God sees me right where where I am. Who is Jesus to you and I? Jesus, in the midst of our heartache, he is the God who sees us. Peter, fishing. Jesus has already died on a cross. Three days later, he came up from the grave, proving every hater wrong, right? Disciples are completely like numb. Like, holy cow, we thought this guy was the son of God, and we just saw him beat up and hung on a cross. And we're not sure if he was who he says he was. 
I mean, we kind of left everything to follow him and now our lives in shambles and we're scared to be seen because people recognize us and they're saying stuff and they're out fishing. They just go back to their old way of life. And see, like we fish because it's fun. Back then they fished because they had bills to pay and they were hungry. And that's how you earned a living for your family. They were fishing. The Bible says that they had fished all night long and caught nothing. No magic bait on the disciples' boat that morning. And that morning, they're exhausted, and they're about to come in for the day. And there's a guy standing on the shore, and he says, Hey, throw your net on the other side. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I don't need anyone telling me how to fish. Actually, I do, but you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, you don't tell a grown man how to fish or where to throw the net. Like, you let men do their thing. You don't mess with men in their fishing. You don't mess with men in their grilling. They got it under control, okay? And so this guy says, throw your net on the other side. And they do. And after all night of fishing, they catch so many fish in one instance, their net breaks. And in an instant, Peter knows it's Jesus. The Bible says that the boat was real close to shore. But Peter, he doesn't think a thing about it. He literally jumps into the water and swims to the shore because he knows it's Jesus. This is the same Peter who a couple weeks before had just rejected Jesus and denied knowing Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. Who is Jesus to you and I? In the midst of our rejection, Jesus is waiting to love me. He not only helped them catch fish, he actually made breakfast for them. Like if anyone's gonna nail breakfast, it's gonna be Jesus, I'm just saying. If someone makes you breakfast, it's because they love you. Who is Jesus to you and I? In the midst of our rejecting him, because we do it all the time. We do it all the time. He is the God waiting to love us. Side of a hill one day. Thousands of people. It's getting late. Jesus has been doing his thing teaching. Disciples are like, oh. Whoo, hey, Master, according to the Fitbit, it's getting late. Why don't you send the people home? They can stop by 7-Eleven, get them a little fried burrito. We got to go, bro. It's late. People are hungry. We got to go, sir. And Jesus says, you feed them. Like, uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry? <laughs> Jesus is like, you feed the people. There's no Little Caesars. There's no Uber to go, delivery eats, food eats, food deliver, whatever y'all got in the big city that we don't have here. No one packed a snack. There, there wasn't leaders on the trip to like whip up breakfast for like 5,000 people. I mean, no big deal, right? And so the disciples walk around and they find a boy with a sack. And you guys know the story. Jesus takes the bread. It's just a sack lunch. It's just some bread and some little fish. And he breaks it and he blesses it and he gives thanks to the Father for it. And the disciples pass it out. And the Bible says that there were 5,000 men that day. That does not include women. That does not include children. For every man, there's a million more behind them. Probably some homeschool families, which made the increase that much more. <laughs> And the disciples pass out the food, and guess how much is left? Twelve basketfuls. How many disciples were there? Twelve baskets. See, Jesus is never going to ask you to do something and not take care of you when you do that. Who is Jesus to you? In the midst of my pride, Jesus is waiting to amaze me and leave me in awe and wonder. That was pride that said, send the people home, they're hungry. They weren't considering the people. Jesus was in his prime, encouraging them, speaking truth. 
Pride says, let's go. Pride says, I got to take care of me. Pride says, it's all about me, myself, and I, and my agenda. And this really isn't convenient for me. This isn't lining up with my schedule or my to-do list for the day. So I'm sorry, but Jesus, you need to find someone else. Who is Jesus to you? It's the story of a man. God told Jonah, go to Nineveh and tell them that I love them. And Jonah's like, hold up, wait a minute. (laughs) Nineveh? That's the best you got? No, thank you. Choice B, please. (laughs) God's like, no, you go to Nineveh and tell the people I love them. So what does Jonah do? He not only disobeys God, he actually takes a cruise to the complete opposite side of the world. Because Jonah's not about to do what God has asked him to do. You guys know the story. Jonah ends up on a boat. And he ends up thrown overboard and a giant fish swallows him. And for three days, Jonah sits in the belly of a fish. And three days later, he gets vomited out. And God says, Noah, go to, not Noah, Jonah, go to Nineveh. And he goes and he tells the people, who is God to you in the midst of your running? Who is Jesus to you and I? In the midst of our running, when we're running from the thing that he's calling us to do, Jesus is always waiting to give us another chance. There's always another chance to get it right. It doesn't matter how many times you've gotten it wrong. There is always another chance to get it right because that is who Jesus is. And lastly, surrounded by enemies, Psalm 23 says that the Lord prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Life is difficult. There are going to be things that you go through that are heart-wrenching. You're going to ask questions and not have answers. Who is Jesus when you are surrounded by enemies? He's the one who prepares a feast for you and invites you to come and sit and to enjoy his company. See, these adults on this trip, they don't follow Jesus because life is peachy king and everything's great and hunky-dory and easy. They follow Jesus because they know and understand that there is no other way to life, true life. There is no other way. There is no better day to go ahead and start praying to God. There is no better week to go ahead and start committing to reading your Bible and internalizing it and living this thing out. Who is Jesus to you? Who are you? Who are you? I'll tell you who you are. You are an overcomer. You are more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives inside of you. Three days dead, y'all, not three minutes. Oh, we've got a pulse. He's coming back. Three days. Three days dead comes with a stench and a stigma. You are a cycle breaker. You are a history maker for Jesus. God wants to use each one of you to rewrite the history books. You were made in the image of God and are pure and perfect and holy in every way. You were bought with a price. Jesus didn't die on the cross for you because he had to. He didn't have to do anything. He had free will just like you and I did. He did it because he loved you. And for some of you, this is just a thing. It's just a tradition. I'm going to go on a San Angelo mission trip. It's going to be cool. 
We're going to get selfies. We're going to talk about how God did something cool. And then in six weeks, I'll talk to your youth leaders. They're going to tell me, yep, man, they're struggling. They haven't been to church in a month. Not sure what's going on. Keep praying for them. You know what that tells me? That tells me that you have no idea who Jesus is and you have no idea who you are. If you understood, if you looked yourself in the mirror and you looked yourself in the eye every day and spoke God's word and truth over yourself, you would be unstoppable. There would be nothing that you could not do. Nothing. I am fully convinced. I am fully convinced that God wants to do something incredible and your school's up there. I've been up there. It's happening already. Boyd Middle School, something crazy is happening, man. Kids are getting lit up for Jesus, and it's incredible. And you know why it's happening? Because they know who Jesus is, and they know who they are. Only you can answer those two questions for yourself. Who are you, and who is Jesus to you? But if you believe anything less than Scripture, if you believe anything less than what God's Word says, then I'm just going to let you know you are getting punked, and you are getting robbed of the life that Jesus has for you. Nobody can define you, only the one who made you. What will you believe? Who will you be? Will you be what everyone else tells you to be, or will you be who God has created you to be? Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. God with you, God with me. You're unstoppable. You're unstoppable. You have everything you need to know and follow Jesus all the days of your life. You have what it takes to change the history of the world for Jesus. But only you have the power to choose. Cody can't choose for you. Your leaders can't choose for you. I can't choose for you. You and I get to choose every day the story that we believe. God, I thank you for tonight. And God... uh, I admit that I have such a small understanding of who you are. And God, I'm sorry for the times that I haven't seen you and beheld you in your beauty. And that I have failed to understand the bigness and the greatness of who you are. And God, I know that when we talk about identity, that it's a hard thing, that we're confused. We're not sure who we are. We want to be confident and But God, there's so many lies to navigate through. And there's so much pressure on on these young people to to be in and to be cool and to be a part of the end thing. And, And God, it's just not fun to stand alone and to stand up for what's right. But God, I'm asking boldly in Jesus' name that you would seal and mark their identity this week in Jesus' name. That you would speak truth deeply into each heart and that you would be the one to tell them who they are. God, that they would never believe a lie from the pits of hell. But God, that they would believe the truth of your word and who you've created them to be, that they were made in your image, God. And when you looked at them, after you knit them together, you looked at them and you said, this is good. And since the day that they were born, you haven't been able to take your eyes off of them, regardless of the stupid things they've done. The stupid things I've done, God, you have never stopped loving me. You have never stopped pursuing me. God, I'm asking that you would raise them up to be incredible warriors, men and women of God, men and women of character and integrity and purity. 
God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.